0: So every plan has a, you know, kind of a strategic aspect to it that is a bit longer term focus of, you know, how that exit is going to look and all the different things that need to be done in order to accomplish it, and then dial it back and do a operating plan for the year of the core things that need to get done now. The road of an entrepreneur is guaranteed to be askew, and there are always big questions to overcome. How are tech founders bootstrapping their way to the top while spending money from their own pockets? How do they scale a startup that is primed for a successful exit, yet still remain profitable? These are the types of questions that this podcast will help answer, and it will shine light onto the livelihood of entrepreneurs, the good, the bad, the ugly, and the dirt in between. My name is Jim Barnish, and welcome to The Dirt.
1: All right, Jim. So, you know, the the big, the big question here then is, is why orchid black and where did it come from? You know, it's, it's, we've, we've kind of already touched on that a little bit, you know, of how you entered that consulting realm. This is something like you said that this was the value that you knew, you knew could provide in a specific industry. You know, you saw that hole and you said, let me fill that. So, so for you, what is orchid black and and what do you guys stand for?
0: Oh, mission. I love it. Um, (laughs) So, you know, the, important to think about our, our brand and and mission and vision and all those things that kind of connect to who and, and what a business is, right? Um, and in order to really understand where we're headed as a brand, I think it's important to understand what the brand represents, which for us... Um, going through a strategic rebrand to Orchid black was perhaps one of the hardest things that I've actually ever had to do as a business owner or even as a leader in general probably even as a human uh, my team would tell you <laughs> um, but you know the um, it's something that has added a incredible amount of value to the business and if you're familiar with orchids you know they're incredibly difficult to take care of the the pruning the the nurturing, the tender, the love, the care, like all that's needed for them to survive. And in fact, most of them don't survive just based on how hard it is to grow an orchid. And, you know, all of a sudden, as I'm kind of going through this, you kind of start to see orchids sound a lot like businesses, right? Especially technology businesses that are very hard to grow. 90 to 96% of them fail, right? Fact. So, you know, what differentiates the ones that survive, the ones that are able to make it through the journey and continue to grow and grow and grow like an orchid, um, is the ones that have the right pruning and the right care and the ones that, um, really are elements of prized exotic orchids, if you will, where the company's true value can emerge from that expert pruning and care. And at orchid black, that's, we're the growth experts, right? We, we tend to our clients and our founders that we work with, um, we become a program together to get to the point where they've always dreamed of getting that aspiration to get to that exit, and have it mean really something for themselves, for their family, for their employees. Um, and when we look at um, the idea of a black orchid, which is part of you know the the name and it, of itself, you wonder, you know, what does that mean? Well, to us, it means two things. Number one, black is exclusive, right? And we're as you mentioned, Josh, our program is really exclusive. We only let so many. Folks into the program that are coachable founders that are looking to grow that have a ton of raw material there and um, and also uh, we only accept ones that are profitable or in the black. So that's really you know the connection to the the, the black aspects of the growth program and B two B tech companies and and who we serve.
1: So you know the the question really is 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 where does um like what's the mission where the where is that pointing? With, yeah, with Orchid Black. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: okay. Thank thank you very much. So. So, so back to you know, how this connects to where we're headed in the mission of what we're trying to do here in the first place, we started Orchid Black to serve founders looking to get unstuck and grow and create wealth. And founders that, like us, when we were the founders, didn't really fully realize what needed to be done to maximize the value of their business and exit. And our successes partnering with the right founders and the right companies have allowed us to achieve some really great growth over the last few years which was and does continue to allow us to serve more founders. And so as we continue our track record of helping founders grow the hell out of their business, lead to great exits and great valuations, we plan to fuel those profits as part of our mission right back into the company to help even more founders achieve the exit and the legacy that they set out to do and deserve. Yeah. And that is our mission, is to take founders who are stuck and help them get unstuck and create an incredible legacy and an incredible exit for themselves, their family and their team. And that's, that's pretty important.
1: <laughs> yeah. It's the number one thing. Well, so I'm going to play devil's advocate here for a minute yeah. too, Jim, Thank because I, I think it'll really help people see where you're coming from on this because you guys, you know, you kind of mentioned some of the, the criteria that you require for people to actually work with you. And and one of those things is that they're already profitable. They're in the black. Mm-hmm. So, so why, why profitable companies and, you know, again, playing devil's advocate here. If you're so good, why don't you do people who are unprofitable? Why don't you do companies that are unprofitable?
0: Yeah, no, that's a, that's a great question. So the idea of a profitability mindset and a growth mindset is simply a, a, a function of the way that you're set up to think. And what founders oftentimes do when they're starting a business, because it's them, they've got all the risk, right? Oftentimes they put everything they have into that company is they focus so much on the profitability mindset that they make so many growth-oriented mistakes. And in doing so, cost the business tons of value in when it comes time to exit. And, and so what we do is we help flip that switch more towards the growth mindset. That doesn't mean that we become drastically unprofitable by any means. That's not the point. The point is switching the tune of what a growth-oriented company looks like because that's what people are looking to purchase. They're not looking to purchase businesses that are stagnant. And how to switch the company's culture and switch the value creation methodology and switch all things that the founders, you know, maybe spent five or 10 or 20 years honing on their own and just tweak it slightly to be able to really create a ton of value in the business. And so, what we found is the ones that have already either got that growth mindset and aren't really at the point of profitability. Need to first experience some of the obstacles and roadblocks that come with focusing too much on profitability and not enough on growth. Right. So that's one big one is they've got to, they've got to have had that pain um, in, in order for our coaching program to actually work, in order for our growth program to work. Yeah. Um, and number two, um, oftentimes those companies that aren't yet profitable um, are not usually making the mistakes for the wrong reason they're not making the mistakes for the um the mindset of profitability versus growth they're making the mistakes because they're making the mistakes right and so it's 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 really focusing on finding the right ones where we can fix the mistakes and fix the opportunity rather than just you know any company that that fits the bill So, you know, that's one part of it is in the black. Another part is, you know, typically if institutional capital or venture capital or private equity money has been raised, um, it's not a great fit for us. Um, Private equity often will purchase the companies that are in our growth program, um, but is not a great, you know, having VC or PE money already in the business isn't a great fit for us. Uh, Reason for that is there's now more stakeholders other than the founder at stake. And um, that just complicates things when we're trying to get a very specific um, program put in place um, and oftentimes investors think that they know more than they actually do and that's another, that's another <laughs> podcast that we can spend time on including myself when i'm in the investor seat by the way um and um and then the other part is we focus on companies that are between three and 50 million in revenue so pre-3 million there's there's something that hasn't gotten the company to that point that they've got to experience beforehand. Um, Post 50 million is a little bit too big to fit our methodology. And so three to 50 million in recurring revenue has been where our sweet spot is in terms of companies that are a a perfect fit for Orchid Black.
1: Yeah, and I love that that happens, right? I know I was playing devil's advocate earlier, but I think you answered that so succinctly. it, It really is... I mean, the the way that you're bringing people into your world really is unique. I mean, people people will look at you and say, "Why are you turning customers away, or what have you?" Or, or maybe you're just, you're only wanting to work with the people who aren't profitable. But the truth of the matter is, is you're working with people who have already tried to solve the problem. They're hyperactive. They're looking for a solution. Where I feel like a lot of people who are unprofitable, especially in the tech sector. They're the, they're the problem. <laughs> the, the founder is the reason why it's not succeeding. If they just get out of the way, sometimes it would be very helpful. I even know in my company, that's that's how I've had to do it many times is I just have to get out of the way. If yeah. I get out of the way, they will solve the problem faster than I would. So I love that you guys have that. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, yes, you're right. You're the problem, Josh. Um, I love it. So um, you know, when, it, when it comes to, to vetting these people and bringing them into your world and everything, um, how, how exactly are you helping them with an exit strategy? Because I, I know, and I haven't really thought about this until the past probably year and a half, because, you know, we kind of got to a point where we're like, well, what is, what is the plan? Are we going to grow this to be a billion dollar company? Or are we going to grow this to a million dollar company or a hundred million whatever? Am I going to exit like by selling? Am I going to exit by dying? Like what's, what's the, uh, what's the exit, you know? So, so walk us through that, that mentality of knowing the exit.
0: Yeah. So our program starts with, um, what we call a value creation assessment or a VCA, which is a diagnostic that we've developed and honed, uh, over the years, where we look at thousands of data points of a company in the market that they serve, and we diagnose what and how that company is going to be able to grow. Um, and growth is a big part of it as I keep mentioning, right? Grow smart and grow fast and. Um, as part of that same assessment, we also look at what might stop that company from being able to grow outside of just simply sales and and revenue. Because at the end of the day, there's a bunch of different value or growth levers that you can think about when you're building a business and looking to exit, which are all boiled down to five simple elements, strategy, talent, product, revenue, and operations. Right? You create a strategy, you hire talent around it, that talent builds a product, Product drives revenue and the operations are the backbone that supports the entire company end to end, right? So everything really fits into those five buckets and we analyze a company's ability to grow across all of them. And um, that helps us put together an impact model of what Orchid Black will be able to do in working in tandem with that company and how that company will be able to grow in a set of recommendations to be able to do that. at that point in time, the company can decide to execute on those recommendations alone, um, or bring in Orchid Black and our team to help execute on the recommendations. Um, almost always, the company prefers that we do it alongside of them because, as I mentioned earlier, you know we we sacrifice a lot of our cash compensation for uh, performance-based comp, whether that's equity or something else, to really align with 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 the founders that we serve. Um, but ultimately, it starts with getting that roadmap in place, coming to that decision, do we work with Orchid Black as partners or do they give us recommendations as a consultant? And then working in that plan, a path towards exit. So every plan has a you know, kind of a strategic aspect to it that is a bit longer term focus of you know, how that exit is going to look and all the different things that need to be done in order to accomplish it. And then dial it back and do a operating plan for the year of the core things that need to get done now. Right. And so when, when done like that, you're able to have your roadmap, the strategic and operational aspects of that same roadmap and a planned exit in mind that that roadmap is working towards. And when we are thinking about kind of all of those five big growth levers, strategy, talent, product, revenue, and and operations, the entire plan revolves around that same mindset. And, so at first we'll focus on different things than we will right before the exit. It's just kind of how building a company works and creating that growth works. And what I think, you know, in our in our first episode, I kind of shared uh, a a software company that we helped grow by fifty five percent in seven months, right, from like twenty three million to thirty six million. And wins like those are the most meaningful outcome wise, don't get me wrong, like high growth, capital efficient, great exits, right? Blah, blah, blah. Right. <laughs> but I also love talking about the ongoing engagements and little wins as it relates to the founders and CEOs that, that we form these incredible relationships with because having them be able to sleep at night and knowing that their business is growing and on the path towards a successful exit means that they're being less disruptive to their team the next day. Um, and that they're spending maybe even more time with their family that's making them better at their job and able to be a better leader for their company and that they are able to be a better visionary and that, you know, all these things kind of start to add up around, you know, not only building a better business, but building a better founder or, you know, evolving the founder mindset. And one that I love so much is a a, a local, uh, a local client that we have here um, in my backyard in Tampa, Florida, that, is a fast-growing uh, marketing tech business that like many ran into the scaling issues right And his were around three million in recurring revenue and he had uh, really crossed over that market acceptance barrier, if you will, but but realized he needed help scaling the company in a more predictable way. And after working with him for only a few weeks on that value creation assessment, right we diagnosed that his company um, had a, an incredible amount of opportunity to grow put together the growth program for him and are now building and scaling the revenue portion in a much more predictable manner. And, you know, data-driven processes, really everything that that the company needed in order to get to the next level. Um, but these process foundations have put the company on a path to, to higher growth and a much larger valuation in ways that, you know, weren't necessarily always anticipated immediate reaction. It was more, you know, path towards, path towards exit. Um, in a few months, it's already up 30% revenue growth or so, um, and everyone involved has confidence that'll continue to multiply, but that's just part of it, right? That's, that's just part of that exit growth or that, that valuation growth on the path to exit, but it is what gets me out of the bed uh, as early as possible in the morning to problem solve with founders on how to take that level of growth and apply it towards where the exit where the buyer where the transferable value in that company is going to be and um that's just that's just so exciting for me
1: yeah i love that well and, and i'm sure a lot of the people listening to this are saying okay well give me an action step let's let's hear like what like diagnose the problem right and the truth of the matter is in, in what you're doing there's no like cookie cutter approach to everything right because every company is different they have their different issues but what do you find to be like one of the most common problems when you first enter a company for why they've stagnated Yeah. You know, it's funny.
0: It's probably also the, um, the same reasons that we stagnated early in our orchid black journey. And in many of the companies I've been a part of the early days Um, and you know, how much time do we have (laughs) (laughs) days, man, we'll be here all day. (laughs) (laughs) There's three, I would say there's three key themes, if you will, um, that, that are being made. Number one, they're overcomplicating the hell out of their menu, right? They're, you know, what they're offering to the world. Um, they're offering too many options. Uh, for us, we were offering too much in detail around our growth program, right? At the end of the day, founders just wanted to know that they were in the growth program and that they were going to get the outcomes of the growth program, not necessarily all the little services that were connected to it, right? right? So that's one thing a lot of startups, a lot of a lot of businesses, growth stage businesses will make is overcomplicating their menu. Um, number two is... Nailing the niche that's connected to the menu. So, um, you know, knowing who you serve and what the value proposition to them is everything. Um, in our early days at Orcu Black, we, you know, we really try to serve too many different types of tech companies, uh, including pre-revenue startups. And that was a passion of mine. I love the pre-revenue stage, but it led for us needing to hire a whole nother team because that is a different type of mindset, a different type of program is pre-product market fit versus you know, kind of after you've gotten some market acceptance. Right. And so, um, hiring for too many roles and too many different types of things is never going to allow a business to grow and, you know, kind of build as a foundation. So that's one that a lot of companies make as well as nailing your niche. Um, and the final one is, um, you know, for us, at least it was really, um, understanding the archetype of the founder that we need to deserve. And, that was a journey much like all custom much like all businesses go through with figuring out the archetype of the customer, the persona of the customer beyond just the niche. Like, who is this person? Not just at their job, but who is this person? Who is this business in other ways, right? The firmographics, demographics, things like that. Um, and for us, that coachability aspect um, of founders being ready for coaching and having already experienced a great amount of pain was so important where... We accepted founders into our growth program, even if they were showing signs of not being coachable. Um, Today, we won't do that, right? We screen very heavily for coachability and able to identify whether that founder is going to be able to themselves exponentially increase the value of the business and get out of the way in the ways that they need to get out of the way and do things in the right way of things that need to evolve. Um, And that's just a special type of archetype, a special type of a founder. Um, I guess maybe... You know, one more.
1: <laughs> I know it's I said bonus. Three. bonus number I
0: four. <laughs> I, I know I said three, but um, you know, especially as it relates to my own journey that's less about Orchid Black, less about the company, more about Jim Barnish or or me is what I see a lot of founders doing and a lot of people doing. And what I did was not really thinking about the fact that talent wins games, but team and intelligence are what wins championships. And that's a saying I often need to remind myself of because I was always, and a lot of founders are the do it all leaders, the do it all individuals, right? Do it all entrepreneurs because that's how you start—is team of one, or maybe two, or maybe three. And um, you know, I was the one who started working at five a.m. and turned the computer off at two a.m. and the grind never stopped, and I was so proud of it, and it was exhausting physically, mentally, spiritually—you <laughs> name it—I was I was worn out. I I felt like I needed to do. Everything. And if I didn't, who would? Right. And even when I got co founders and employees, every time I unloaded one responsibility, I would take on two, maybe three more. Um, And it was just unsustainable. And beyond that, wasn't working culturally for myself or anything, you know, And, and we were growing, but not at a pace that we wanted to and not in a scalable way, which is perhaps the most important part of that. And so until I stopped trying to be the driving force of everything, And until founders stop trying to be the driving force of everything in their company, um, think Michael Jordan in the 80s with a bunch of scoring titles and no championships versus the 90s, right? With a lot of championships, right? Two, three peats, six championships. Get the hell out of the way and be a great leader. You don't have to be the do-it-all founder. And it's okay to do the same things that professional athletes like Michael Jordan do, which are train and celebrate little wins and, and do all the things that come with passion outside of just the grind because if athletes professional athletes michael jordan for god's sakes can do it you can do it as a founder you don't just have to be the do-it-all person you can train and coach and mentor and and even yourself take some time to relax and celebrate the little wins and that's just so i guess the takeaway there is you can still be the leader but you don't always need to have the ball in your hands that's that's really it's really important in order for the company to flourish if you loved today's episode of The Dirt, make sure you rate it on your favorite platform. And if you really like this, go ahead and leave us an honest review. Thanks again for tuning in to The Dirt.